6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Colossians, chapter 4. Well, we're in the concluding session of our exploration of Paul's epistle to the Colossians. And whenever we enter the Word of God, we want to always remember to do so uh, cautiously, expectantly, but in prayer. So let's bow our hearts. Father, we just praise you for who you are. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for your Word, how precious it is. And yet, Father, we also realize that we need the Holy Spirit to really guide us, that we might appropriate to ourselves that which you have here for us. So we just solicit that, Father, that you would be among us and that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and lives to your word, that we each might grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, in whose name we commit this hour and ourselves. Because it is indeed in his name that we commit these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're in chapter 4. And uh, it's a short chapter, so we'll, uh, the others took two each, but this one we can do here. And uh, Ephesians, of course, is, the, the, uh, is on the church, the body of Christ, but Colossians is Christ the head of the body. There's really a pairing here. As you'll discover, there are even some speculations by some scholars that the letter to Laodicea itself is Ephesians, and they were instructed to exchange. So there is an interesting relationship between those two. And let's remind ourselves that Paul did not begin by attacking the false teacher or their doctrines. And uh, it's interesting that he never attacks people, he attacks what they teach. There's a big difference about that. It's tragic that many critics in the Christian body make the mistake of ad hominem arguments. No, they should. Uh, Walter Martin was so diligent in his career of dealing with what was published against what the Bible said and left it there, didn't get into personalities and so forth. And, uh, but anyway, he did not begin by attacking the teacher or their doctrines. He began by exalting Jesus Christ and showing his preeminence in five areas. In the gospel message itself, in the redemption, in the creation, in the church, and of course in his own ministry. And uh, that was really a summary of what we've been through in the previous three chapters. Chapter 1, Christ's preeminence was declared. Chapter 2, his preeminence was defended. And 3 and 4, both chapters were the practical side where his preeminence is demonstrated. What a lesson that is. If you've mastered this epistle, there's nothing that can come across your path that should deceive you. You will be equipped to deal with it. An unknown, a surprise. How? By focusing on and exalting Christ. And uh, that's so easy to do by just doing a little bit of homework. So that's exciting. So our moment-by-moment -moment existence depends upon His gracious sustenance of every electron, every atom, every molecule, and every spiritual entity as well. We are safe when we place our trust in Him and put our whole lives into His hands. And so we have also reviewed the freedom we have in Christ. 
holidays, dietetic laws and whatever, and all the practical applications for a walk. We closed last week on the subject of employee-employer relations, and we've dealt that. So our full outline, we were in the last half of chapter um, uh, 3, and now we'll focus on the wrap-up of Christian witness and Christian service. The last verse of, uh, the last item of last time's thing was the first verse of this chapter. Masters, give your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. And so we, we explored the whole idea of a fiduciary relationship that's imposed upon us in the last time. It's interesting as we study the scripture, it has a lot to say about the power of speech, especially in James 3. We find the tongue compared to a bridle, a rudder, a fire, a poisonous animal, a fruitful tree, and a fountain. These are all word pictures that James uses. In each of these pairs, the tongue has the power to direct, to destroy, to, to delight. You know that's true because they're all D's there. See, that's a that's this thing you learn in seminary is that you always have alliteration. That makes it more true. And, uh, and I'm being facetious, of course. Uh, and uh, the power of speech is a gift from God. That's sort of James's point. And the most powerful application of speech is what? No, it's not gossiping on your neighbor. No, no. It's prayer. So Paul now follows uh, and focuses our, the ministries of speech by prayer. So it, it, this session will open with verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Continue in. Capturing the Greek which says to persist to devote yourself to. Many of us are guilty of just sending a quick telegram, either as a routine or as an urgent message in, in when you're an extremist, rather than really devoting yourself to a time, a commitment to prayer. The biggest lack in the Christian walk, prayer. It's not a casual luxury. It's essential to your walk. Prayer has been called the Christian's vital breath. If you're wondering how you're doing your walk, examine your prayer life. Because that may be a secret to everybody else, but not between you and him. And uh, he cherishes that time together. Prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. When you get to Ephesians 6, you study the seven elements of the armor of God. Now let's remember that he tells you twice in that passage to put on the whole armor, not just your favorite pieces. Because you are already on enemy turf. And if you don't have the whole armor, you're vulnerable. So you need to understand what those seven elements are. And when most people make their list, they forget the last one. They go through the truth and the breastplate, this, that, and so on. And those aren't the elements of the soldier that's chained to him. Everybody teaches, they, they assume that he's drawing those word pictures from this uh, Praetorian that's chained to him. He's chained to him so the Praetorian can't get away. <laughs> Can you imagine being chained to Paul for a full shift? And most of them came to the Lord, interestingly enough. That's recorded in, Phil, in the Philippian letter. But the point is, um, no, those idioms he's using come from the Old Testament, many of them. That may surprise you. So they're more fundamental than just a convenient word picture from a, an occasion there. No, they're actually, they have more depth than that. And you want to go through and understand all, uh, all, all those, and I'll, I'll spare you that right now, except to point out that the climactic one is the heavy artillery. What do I mean by that? Because it's action at a distance. The sword of the spirit, the model there was the Roman machaira. 
Most people had long swords. I was in boxing, and I hated boxing in the academy, but the one thing, I do have a long reach, which kept me out of some trouble. But the idea of a sword was a long, curved sword was the typical technology of that day. But the Romans developed this little 24-inch bachira with which they conquered the world. But there's two things you need to know about the machaira. It takes special training to get close in, and it takes lots of practice. But with training and practice, it's, it's advantageous, and the Romans proved it. And that's the same thing with our, with our sword of the Spirit. We need to have, know how to use it and practice. Know how to use it. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you could lead a Jewish friend to Christ presenting information only from the Old Testament? That was done six different times by 12 different people in the book of Acts. When they led someone to the Lord from the scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament at that time. And you can do it very easily, actually. You need a little outline, but you can go through the whole story of everything. Strictly in the Old Testament. It takes a little an outline and a little practice. That's the point, though. Practice. Be trained. Because that's what that weapon is for. But getting back to the, to the heavy artillery, you can participate in a ministry in uh, Somalia or the Sudan, in your bedroom, on your knees. You can be part of that action, effectually. And nobody may know about it but your boss. Isn't that cool? That's cool. Anyway, so continue in prayer. Prayer should be faithful. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Pray without ceasing. These are all quotes out of Paul's letters. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying in the Holy Ghost. That's the way to pray. Our walk will directly reflect the time we spend with Him. The soul flourishes in an atmosphere of prayer. Prayer should be watchful. Prayer is God's way of enlisting us in what He wants to do. It isn't to give Him a, a to-do list. <laughs> it's to get us Prayer in the Spirit will cause you to get enlisted in what He's doing. That's what it's all about. C.S. Lewis even pointed out, God, prayer doesn't change Him, it changes me. Christ was our example. Again and again, He would retreat to the solitude of a garden, a desert, or a mountainside. It was an essential part of preparation for His mightiest works and to bear witness to the truth. And He was... God. And he had to pray. It was an essential part of his regimen. Boy, that's a sobering insight. We're bidden to bring everything to him in prayer. God delights in answering our prayers. That's one of the reasons we're in trouble all the time, because that's the only way he ever hears from us. Sometimes. God's delays are not always God's denials. His timing is not your timing. His timing is perfect. He's never late. He's never early. He's always on time. And, uh, and you're, I, 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 I used to love some of the messages Chuck Smith used to give about being thankful for the prayers he didn't answer. All you have to do to understand that is attend your high school reunion. <laughs> I don't have to fill in the blanks, do I? <laughs> Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His willingness. That's great. Prayer is the effective antidote to anxiety. 
Prayer is the effective antidote. If you're anxious about something, that's because you haven't prayed about it. Prayer is to be purposeful. A forward spotter, in military terms, a forward spotter calling in an artillery barrage has to be precise. Has to be precise. If prayer is your heavy artillery, realize what you've got to do there. Saying, getting on the phone, shoot the enemy isn't very helpful to the, to the, to the team, right? You want to be specific. Continue in prayer and watch the same with thank, watch in the same. Prayer should be watchful. Watch and pray. These are never separated. They're always together. Watch in the same. Be alert. Beware spiritual drowsiness by attention to the world. If you're involved in the world, that's a form of spiritual drowsiness or distraction in any case. Plenty of passages on this. These are just some highlights. Be alert. Be, beware spiritual drowsiness and, or, or by the wiles of the devil. Satan will try to distract you or keep you, divert you from your commitment to prayer. So be committed. Be precise. Be disciplined. It is interesting that we are to pray even for that which is prophesied. In Daniel 9, it's a very interesting passage. Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah and realizes that they're going to be captive for 70 years. And he knows that about 67 years have gone by. So he knows they're coming up to the end. Now, if it was you or me, we'd sit back, put our feet on this. Oh, great, the rapture's about to happen or whatever, right? <laughs> when Daniel realized the time was short, what did he do about it? He prayed about it. And he spends 20 verses in prayer, and that prayer is interrupted by Gabriel's arrival. I've come, and he gives him four verses that are the most astonishing passage in the entire Bible. In fact, when four disciples come to the Lord Jesus for a briefing on the, on his, on the end times, he directs them to that very passage as the key to all prophecy. So you want to understand Daniel 9. But of that 27-verse thing, only four verses are the prophecy. The previous, well, about 20 or so, are Daniel's prayer. And in fact, when you read the translation, you can feel him tremble. Even in the translation, in the English, as you read it. You discover as he's reading, he's getting wrapped up. You see the frequency of the verbs start to pick up. You can almost feel the vibration when... He's interrupted. It's the interrupted prayer of the Old Testament. Now, it's interesting that he's praying for something that he knows is predicted, preordained. Why? Because that's what he did. You are to do the same thing in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. You're to pray. Most Christians have no idea what that means. Yes, you're praying for the millennium. Revelation 20. A thing that many churches regard as allegory because they haven't done their homework in 2 Samuel. There's four unconditional covenants. The Abrahamic covenant, which we're all benefits, beneficiaries of even if we're Gentile. The land covenant, which commits the land to Israel. The Davidic covenant. And then the everlasting covenant, which, for which the New Testament gets named. Well, the world's challenging the Abrahamic covenant, the EU, the UN, you name it. All anti-Semitism. The land covenant is specifically being challenged by Islam. Rather aggressively, I'd say. Huh? The third covenant, the Davidic covenant, is being attacked by the church. Most churches don't realize what that covenant means. Well, that's Old Testament stuff. No, that's what Gabriel told Mary when her child was uh, when she was pregnant that uh, her child would be on the throne of David. That didn't exist in those days. Rome ruled, 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 ran things. And all through the, there, you find the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is um, here among you, not in your heart. That's what some people interpret. No, no, it's actually there. And, and uh, 
It's even offered again by Stephen after the crucifixion. And they, what do they do? They kill him. No, it's the offer of the king. Well, anyway, the point is, at the ascension, he's ready to ascend. And the disciples ask him, are you, are you going to set up the kingdom? He doesn't say he's not going to do it. He says, not, it's none of your business when I do it. It's coming. But don't concern yourself about the timing. He confirms it, in fact. You get to the pivotal event in the book of Acts, Acts 15, where there's a big issue there. And James, quoting Amos 9, reconfirms that the tabernacle of David is going to be reestablished. When, when there's a group of Gentiles taken care of, then the, the, the tabernacle... And so you, it's the pivotal event there. And so it goes. So anyway, so we, should, we pray, Thy kingdom come, Matthew 6.10. And uh, you need to understand what that is. Well, that's going to happen anyway. Yes, it is, but you're supposed to pray for it. In fact, you're praying for it, we'll bring it about. Well, he knows it's going to bring about, yes, because he knows you're going to pray for it. <laughs> While praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am in bonds. In bonds. And uh, it's interesting, Paul was never shy in requesting prayer, and neither should we. That God would open unto us a door of utterance. Paul was in a prison cell. And he's not asking for the cell to be opened. He asked that the doors of ministry be opened. How interesting. For which I also am in bonds. You know, it was here from this point that Paul was already. We, we get the uh, 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 four prison epistles. Precious, precious documents. All of them here, from here. And, uh, and of course it was here that the, from, from here the guards were saved that mentions in Philippians several times. So you might make a project sometime when you're drawn to do that and that's when the Lord leads you to do it. Make a study of Paul's prison. You can make a study of all of them but let's not get, get it confused. Let's go for the prison uh, epistles. Philippians, Ephesians and Colossians. Check it out. And if you want to understand how to pray, check Philemon. It's a, it's a lesson in intercession. Little beautiful little letter uh, and so on. Paul says, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. <laughs> I love that. It needs more boldness. It was in Ephesians 6 that he prays for more boldness. Well, boy. You know, as wonderful as Paul's preaching was to his hearers, and it seems that way to us, it's interesting, he was never satisfied with it. He was never satisfied with it. Neither can any of us be. Never finished. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Oh, there's that phrase. To them that are without. Those outside the family of God. Walk in wisdom with respect to them. Don't be stupid. Don't be obnoxious. There are some things that are best confined to those that are of the faith and possess the essential background to understand. Boy, I was relieved to see that because I certainly think it's true. My ability to communicate is very different when I know that the majority of you have been through learning the Bible 24 hours or are bronze medallion holders, etc. And it's my presumption as we get audiences that are primarily silver and gold medallion holders. It's a different discussion. It's a different discussion. Careless behavior among those of the world will only convince them that we do not ourselves really believe the tremendous truths that we would pass on to them. But here's the term, redeeming the time. Oh boy. 
That's the most inelastic thing you have. You understand the economic terms of elasticity? Elasticity in something means its, it's, it's availability varies by price. It's very elastic. Something that's inelastic, you can't change it by raising the price. That's all there is. There's just a, there's a limitation to it. Well, the most perishable inventory you have is time. The 10 minutes that just went by are unredeemable. They're gone for good. Time is not redeemable in the sense of, you know, as an economist might measure it, so to speak. You're saying redeeming the time, make every second count, is what he's trying to say here. You see, that's a commercial term. The faithful steward exploits an opportunity when he encounters one. We should be making the very most of every opportunity in the time short. That's what I believe will be, that to me is what the tears are all about in heaven. As we realize, wow, what we might have done if we hadn't wasted that week or that this or that. And it'll be time. It won't be dollars. It won't be other kinds of things. I think the most uh, desperately missed thing will be Opportunity in the sense of time. Time is short. Now the question is, do you really understand how short it is? Ooh. How many weekends do you believe you have left? Boy, I got a lot of strange looks, huh? <laughs> how many weekends? See, wasting time can be the most expensive opportunities going to waste. Now, how many weekends? You say, that's kind of funny. If I ask you, if you think in your mind, well, I've got... My insurance agent will show me the actuarial tables. I've got probably 20 years left. That's academic. That doesn't rattle when you shake it. That's sort of a concept. See, it's an abstraction lacking tangibleness or palpability. Instead of 20 years, suppose you say, well, I guess I have a thousand weekends left. Ouch! About the same thing. Figure in round figures, you got 50 weeks a year. Okay, 20 years, you're talking, you know. Wait a minute. Wow. That's a little different. You know, when, when, when your girls were in, in uh, high school or something, you made paperclip chains. How many days till prom? And every time a day went by, you took a paperclip. You, you, you counted the, day, the days to, to Christmas vacation or to the prom. Or we, we, when we were young, we were watching that, you know. We didn't understand when we were young that life is like a roll of paper. It goes faster near the end, huh? Thousand weekends, that pinches us. I was on a, I was dealing with a, uh, a board member once, and I told, uh, 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 Bernie, uh, how, uh, how much time you got left? About a thousand weekends, isn't it? He looked at me shocked. Well, what do you, you, 20 years? No, 30, isn't that about a thousand, they call it a thousand weekends. And many years later, I ran into him at an airport, and he walked up to me, and what do you think it is, Chuck? Maybe about 900 now? <laughs> he remembered that conversation, and he, 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 he put it into his estimate into weekends. I thought, well, pretty good. So how many weekends do you have left? That makes it sort of pinch, doesn't it? Whatever the number is. Obviously, it's different for all of us, at least in our, in our terms of our estimates. You know, it might be one weekend. You never know what's going to come. Sufficient of the day is evil era. But, but uh, still, okay. So let your speech... Be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man with salt. That's a, uh, a seasoned with salt. That's a condiment of conversation. 
The preservative power of faithfulness is what's here. Did you realize salt was added to the sacrifice in Leviticus 2? Interesting. An example, I think, to us. Anyways, you follow Christ through the Gospels. Notice that he had no stereotyped form or formula methods of dealing with souls. He met each individual case with its unique needs. In a Jewish, in a Jewish synagogue, he reasoned as a rabbi would. When he writes the letter to the, to the Hebrews, he knows the animosity they feel towards him. He doesn't sign it. And he argues from things that they had already committed themselves to. It's built entirely on certain specific Old Testament examples. He builds the whole case on that. They knew who he was. The reader understood who he was. You can prove that for the statement. So that was his Jewish approach. At the Oropagus, at the, at the Mars Hill, among the Athenian philosophers, he was a master of rhetoric and Greek thought and literature. He quotes from three different Greek poets, not the Old Testament. These are Athenians. And he quotes from uh, 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 literature that they were aware of, makes his point from them. And uh, so he knew, how he, to a Greek, he was a Greek. He had, he had the benefit of the best Greek schooling. And he also, to a Jew, he had the best rabbinical schooling from Gamaliel himself. So he was whatever, he met them on their ground, so to speak, addressing the idolaters of Laconia. He met them on their own ground. He appealed from nature to nature's God, seeking to turn them from their vanities and draw their hearts to the creator of all things. It's in our book, Alien Encounters. If you go to a bookstore and look for it in a Christian, you won't find it there because it was designed to look like a New Age book. They have some out there. You can examine the outside. You'll discover that I was going to have an astronaut. There were 13 different astronauts that had UFO experiences on their thing. I was going to have one of them. And I had a better idea. I had Doug Marr do the foreword. Now, you may not know who he is, but every New Ager does. Publishers Weekly attributes the, the, the New Age publishing craze to Doug Marr's book, A Voyage to the New World. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Colossians. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. 